product and marketing, separating them creates a very linear and very outdated approach in my view. I think that this co-creation is super important. So I would definitely encourage you know, marketers to be engaged in a product development process. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. This is simple, surprising, and significant. Key to unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. Today, I'm chatting with Julia Golden, who holds the title of Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Lego. That combination is not an accident. Golden does more than just marketing. She's also responsible for creating Lego play experiences and leads the team that creates the product portfolio. But she's also someone who thinks deeply about how marketing can actually enhance the product experience rather than just selling things. Before joining Lego in 2014, she served as Global Chief Marketing Officer at Revlon. And prior to that, she worked with the Coca-Cola company, rising to become Deputy CMO of Coca-Cola Japan. It was there, at Coke, where she first developed a real taste for product innovation and its less than obvious connection to the marketing side of the house. Julia, one of the things that's interesting about how you define marketing is marketing is not just advertising. Marketing is not just getting people to buy stuff, though that's important. Marketing is now creating content that evokes desire. What do you mean by that, to create content that invokes desire as a marketer? Uh, thank you for having me here. And um, nice to chat with you, Ben. And what I see in the world today, and I think everybody sees that, is the fact that we have so many different platforms available to us. So when you're thinking about channels through which we can we connect with our consumers, they're much more immersive and uh, we have much more ability to be more personal, you know, more connected and more, more audience kind of oriented and audience focused. And so marketing is not as simple as creating an advertising campaign. I believe that we have an opportunity to really understand our consumer, really understand our audience, understand how they engage in their lives and what's important to them and make sure that we connect with them through content that brings the product to life in a way that will be really meaningful. If, for example, if I take a Lego set as an example and I talk about, you know, I don't know, uh, Lego Star Wars, let's take that one. Um, Star Wars is an amazing IP and we know kids that really love Star Wars are completely into all kinds of different experiences related to Star Wars. Rather than just advertising the sets, you know, what's really interesting is to be able to engage kids in short form content, to be able to showcase something to them that they haven't seen before, to be able to open up a window into designers that design Star Wars sets, to be able to engage them in a Star Wars game. So thinking about holistically about how to create immersive experiences that will engage the audience, you know, and tap into their passions, that's the huge opportunity that we today have in marketing, which we did not have, you know, 20 years ago. In marketing for Lego, how do you think about your audiences? You have kids themselves, but parents are there too, and parents are presumably making the purchase for the kids. It's an interesting area. Um, I have some background in marketing in children's books, where children's books has to appeal to the kids, but it also has to appeal to the parents as well. It might find something clever or funny that in, in the book that the, the child might not get. So how do you think about audiences? How do you evoke desire when you have maybe kids and parents at the same time that are stakeholders in the Lego experience? 
I think the first thing is that you need to know who you're designing the product for. And so we are very crystal clear about designing the product for kids and then segmenting it further into the kids with particular passion points, particular play needs, development in terms of age, et cetera. So the products need to tap into what kids are really going to want because at the end of the day, they drive the wish list. <laughs> so they need to be passionate about. But of course, we also are very you know, clear in understanding shoppers and parents, what occasions they're looking for, how they think about uh, value, you know, how we can help them to discover and navigate in, to find the right product for their child if their child hasn't asked for somebody, for something specific. So parents are a very important element of the whole kind of uh, shopper journey. Uh, let's start with that one. But parents are also a very important element of the whole journey, right? We believe that play is incredibly important for children. It's essential for their childhood and essential for their development. And parents are the window to open play for kids. So a big portion of what we do also with our, our brand communication and brand campaign is to communicate to parents about the importance of creativity and play and the importance of play as unlocking creativity, creative problem solving, helping their kids to develop 21st century skills. So that's kind of the first thing is to get them really interested. Then it's about really helping them to navigate, you know, how do they find the right product for their child? How do they know what their child, for example, would really appreciate and love? And then lastly, parents as mentors, as also people that we want to engage in the whole experience, because one of the unique things about the Lego brand and the Lego bricks and Lego play is that we do have, an, you know, a massive ability to bring kids and parents together. And parents can also play a role in helping their child to have the best possible experience. So parents are very important, but kids are kings and queens. Well said. And and how do you think about then the impact that a brand like Lego can have? I know you've talked about the fact that Lego should be a big brand, like a big brand on the world stage. It's not just a toy company in terms of its impact. It, it makes toys, but even you've even alluded to learning, creativity, development, but then even grander themes. How do you think about that? And how do you go about sort of increasing the size, the scope, the importance of Lego as a brand? When I think about the Lego brand, I think of a, a brand that has um, a very clear mission of developing and inspiring the builders of tomorrow. So the first message and the key thing that we want to, to, to advocate for is um, learning through play and the importance of play. And basically sending a message to the world about, first and foremost, that kids need play in their life and they need great and immersive play in their life. And play can really help to build all of these uh, essential, what we call kind of essential 21st century skills. So we are very focused on activities that deliver that message. Take Lego Masters as an example. It's a great content that actually engages people in, in seeing and understanding what creativity can actually deliver. Or if you take... Um, our brand campaign from from this year where we celebrated our 90th anniversary, you know, we really made that into a big moment of play, including creating a world play day to make sure that we actually engage parents and children and adults uh, in play and reinforce the importance of play. So that's kind of the first really big message. Secondly, we are a brand that is a number one brand for kids and we have a massive opportunity and I think a responsibility to make sure that we also address some of the 
you know, big issues that I think for our society are going to be absolutely critical. So examples, you know, children today are growing up in a world where they're much more engaged from an earlier age about what that world needs to be. And the big things that we engage in would be things like supporting underprivileged communities. So for example, Black community, 25% of everything we do goes to the Lego Foundation. It's our opportunity to support underprivileged communities and kids that are in crisis situations to ensure that we can bring play to their lives. Secondly, diversity and inclusivity, very important because children are growing up in a world where we don't want children to feel marginalized by society. We want everyone to feel that they can realize the best of their potential, but there's still a lot of opportunity to do that and to give kids an opportunity to see that everybody can find themselves having a full opportunity to realize their potential. So we do that, for example, in our sets. You know, we we create, um, we have blind kids, we have um, or people, we have people in in, in wheelchairs, but, but active and being able to actually live an active life. We show uh, genders in very non-traditional roles to reinforce the importance of gender diversity, but also, you know, importance of giving people an opportunity, giving women an opportunity to do the things that they really want to do in their lives. So a lot of different things to really reinforce inclusivity in a very direct way where they can see it in our sets and they can also see it in our marketing and our, in our content. Supporting LGBTQIA plus community is another very important element. And then, of course, um, also driving all kind, you know, very important efforts uh, in terms of sustainability. These are the things that we can do as a company, but there are also things that we can do as a brand and things that we can do as products. And that's where, you know, we can immerse children in the world of play, but in a way that also educates them about the right kind of things and values and things that are important for their lives and for their future. One of the interesting aspects of Lego's brand positioning is how firmly they align their brand to the value of creativity. A handful of Lego bricks don't just help you build things, but can ignite your creativity and change the way you see the world. But if your brand is meant to celebrate creativity, can you just deploy a run-of-the-mill ad? Or can you even use a traditional ad at all? The answer to this conundrum, according to Julia, lies in marketing via product experience rather than just ads. In your title and your job, you oversee not just marketing, but product as well. And in particular, product innovation, which isn't the case for necessarily a lot of CMOs. So how do you think about, how does that impact your role as a marketer? The fact that what you were just talking about, you might you know, have a role in, in making a product or a product innovation more inclusive, show a, maybe a non-traditional role for something to kind of show what's possible. How does that impact the fact that you wear both of those hats? Well, I think I'm very privileged. And what my role allows me to do is to bring my team together so that we're not thinking linearly you know, between creating a product and then figuring out how to market the product, but product and marketing come together from the very beginning. So the, the process is very different, I think, from the sort of usual kind of linear process and the engagement is very strong. So at the end of the day, I've always, I always um, believed in marketing being a real cross-section between art and science. You need to really understand your consumer. You need, really need to understand the data and the insights, but then there's also creativity that's involved in actually creating something that will surprise and delight them. 
And that's kind of the, that intersection is still really important when you're starting to develop products. But the power is that the marketers are, have a, a seat at the table from the very beginning. It's not that I have designers that create products and then marketers that take it on and go figure out how to, to, market, to market them. It's marketing and design that sits together to figure out what are going to be the themes, what are going to be the really interesting trends, what are the things that we want to tap into, which who is our audience, you know, the, which passion points we want to bring to life. Then the products, as the products get designed, you can start thinking holistically about content, about you know, the different marketing levers that you might want to use and the experience that you want to create. So marketing becomes much more around experience and content and not just straightforward advertising. So that's the big opportunity that I have because I have a team that works together. Do people stay in their own lane in these kind of sessions where let's say it's early on the development of product and marketers sort of say, oh, and I, I, here's an insight about you know, some social media listening we've done and other things. And they kind of talk about that and the product people talk about their role or does it, does it all blend together? My marketer might have an idea for a product and do you encourage that or do you encourage people to, to kind of stay in their domain of expertise? I see marketers are as much more business owners. So I feel that they have full ability and opportunity. And actually it's part of their job to actually have a perspective on how to develop their product lines and um, how to tap in the audience that they're looking after. Um, but designers also play a big role because they can bring a more of a creative slant and, and look at things differently. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, so, so the process is very symbiotic. People don't need to stay in their lanes. They need to work together as a team. That's the power. Is The power is, is, is in the team and the fact that people can bring different perspectives. Underpinning both sides, really, it sounds like, is consumer insights, understanding the consumer, understanding their motivations, understanding their wants and needs and desires and benefits, what's their true motivation for a product. So given that, how do you bring that out? How do you sort of, you're a creative company by nature of the product you sell, which, which kind of sounds a little bit right brain, but yet it's left brain based on data and insight. And how do you merge that into the process? It's a very good question, but you know, the, 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 I think that's one of the things that I also feel is very unique is the fact that it is a combination of left and right brain. And I think the Lego experience itself, if I can just deviate for a second, is a left and right brain combination, right? Because on the one hand, you know, it's a creative process, but on the other hand, it's also very logical and you have to follow steps and think about, you know, what might have gone wrong or how to fix things. The way that we do it is is very simple. I mean, you you need to understand your consumer. You know, I don't think that's a left brain necessarily um, or a right brain um, inclination. It's just more that we we have really value data and understand. So for example, so for example, kids. If I take kids, we don't design products by starting with okay, boys and girls. We think about passion points and build in and play needs and the way kids build and what their different levels of experience uh, are and what that how that might influence their play and engagement. And so it all starts with very rich understanding of the data that we have available, but also might do some other research to specifically dive into a particular passion point that we want to understand. Then the process starts. So part of it is logical, of course. You see the data, you understand who you're going to go after. But part of the creation is also being able to create things that don't exist today. And that's the creative process. So that's how the two things come together. And it's never that one part of the brain switches off. 
Because even as you're developing products, you we, we do a lot of testing of our products to understand how kids or how the audience that they're designed for relate to them early on, how they relate to the play experience, but also how they view the product and how interested they are in it. So part of it is qualitative, part of it is quantitative, and we need to be able to embrace and understand both. That's how the process kind of iterates. But we also do a lot of things to promote creativity and just give people an opportunity to continuously stay inspired, both externally, but also internally. So for for designers, for example, we often take, we sometimes do creative boosts at least a couple of times a year where they can just take one week and design whatever they want uh, on a particular brief. And that's kind of a very quick way without any insight, just get the stimulation of your own creativity. We've focused on motivations, needs, wants, desires of individual kids, parents, families at, at kind of a micro level. How do macro and cultural and other events have a factor here in terms of, I mean, you've had for a number of years now the Rebuild the World campaign from Lego and talk about that, but obviously that maybe takes a different meaning after something like the pandemic we've been going through or, 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 or other like uh, socioeconomic, cultural events worldwide. How does that kind of influence both products and marketing aside from the individual needs of a kid and a, and a family as well? Very important. You know, it's really important to also be topical and to be relevant. You know, we, we also do a lot of work to just with the brand to make sure that our brand taps into the moments of culture that are unique and relevant and important we also collaborate with other creators so at a global scale you're constantly looking for one which are going to be the seminal cultural moments that you want to be part of then secondly what are the you know who are the you know creators or um, you know partners that you would want to work with uh, from a grand you know scheme of things you know who are also doing a lot of work and connecting in a very culturally relevant way so that you know, shapes a lot of what we do in terms of our brands and in terms of our brand, in terms of the Lego brand, but also in terms of the choices that we make, even for our internal IPs, for, for our um, IP partners. And, uh, you know, so for example, what are going to be the hot movies? What are going to be the hot properties? Who, who are the people, influencers that we might want to work with? Um, who are the brands that we may want to collaborate with? And these are the kinds of things that are shaped by our culture and society around us. And part of it is, of course, also tapping into moments that are not so nice for society, but moments that require brands to act. In, in looking at your background, one brand that does a really good job of being culturally relevant, that, that you had a, a career, I think a 13-year career at Coca-Cola, um, which included all different levels of company, but also being the, the deputy CMO for Japan. That's a brand that is culturally relevant. Yet, if you just looked at their product, it, it's a drink. It's it's something you know, refreshing, tastes good. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be. But for Coca Cola, what do you take from that experience, marketing Coca Cola that you, you that you deploy now at Lego on how you are culturally relevant? That goes beyond maybe what what your actual like product delivery or benefit is by the size of your brand and its 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 impact on the world stage. Yeah, it, it was a, a a great lesson for me. It was really like for me, brand academy, you know, because Coke is like you said, it's just a drink. But Coke felt, you know, and I, I've read archives actually of the legendary CEO of Coke, uh, Robert Woodruff. But you know, Coke felt the the responsibility, um, you know, to to be 
also part of the fabric that unites the world, part of the fabric that stood for peace, for togetherness, and it established itself that way and did a lot of iconic things through the years to say, to, to make these statements like, you know, supporting Olympics and World Cup, like putting a, a massive uh, first sort of sign in the middle of Piccadilly Circus in London because it was the heart of Europe after after the war and they wanted to be there. Um, like doing, of course, um, I want to buy the world a Coke, you know, in the middle of early 1970s with a lot of, um, you know, very, you know, revolutionary spirit and, and, and problems the U.S. was experiencing. These kinds of iconic statements were very important. And what I learned when I worked at Coke is that you can't rely on those statements, right? You, you, each generation of marketers has a, a responsibility to leave the legacy of the brand very strong. So I had to work on figuring out how to be relevant in the world that I was in at the time that I was, you know, had the opportunity to take care of the brand. And it, it did require really understanding consumers, really understanding what was important to them and really tapping into the moments and experiences that were, you know, the highlights for their life and really brought to life this idea of togetherness, like football that, you know, brings everyone together, like music that brings people together and allows them to express themselves. So, so that was sort of my experience with Coke. And if I, and I learned that kind of, you know, continuous focus on building the brand that is much bigger than just the product. And I think of Lego in a very similar way, in the sense that, of course, we have amazing array of products, and some of them are actually really, really big. <laughs> but as a brand, we surpass any individual product and really stand for the importance of creativity, the importance of play, the importance of creative expression, creative problem solving, and supporting inclusivity uh, in terms of you know just giving everybody the ability to be a confident creator and i think that legacy is much bigger than any individual product coca-cola has an interesting place in the marketing pantheon why should a flavored beverage regularly stand in the middle of historic events and connect the world with its iconic glass bottle it's because the brand has drawn a line in the sand and said it stands here. And over time, and with continual reinforcement, that line becomes a permanent landmark and the foundation of the entire brand's reason for being. Interestingly, Julia took this master class with Coke and then said that Lego deserves the same. Well, firstly, we have a very important principle, which is that we, when we if we it, if it choose and, and decide to tap into a social issue, we do it with action, not with words. Because, you know, during Black Lives Matter, as an example, you know, a lot of brands said something. Um, but saying something doesn't really help society as much as doing something. So we actually um, acted, you know, we donated, um, pledged the donation of money to through Lego Foundation um, to support Black Lives Matter uh, and support particularly kids and other privileged uh, black communities. Um, so, so that's that was a very important element of it. Um, and I would say, um, you know, that's kind of a very important, you know, lens that we have on specific social issues. We want to do things that will actually really help society, not just talk about the fact that these issues are important. So if you're going to talk, if you're going to talk about diversity, we're actually doing things in our sets, in our marketing 
to actually actively engage diverse communities and help people to feel um, that they are included. For example, you know, we can talk about diversity and inclusivity, but we have launched Braille Bricks for blind kids for them to help them to learn Braille, but also audio building instructions to help blind kids to be able to build. You know, we represent kids in, and, and adults in different situations in our sets, whether they are have a limb disability or whether they have, you know, another type of disability. It's very important to help help to show that people can have, you know, very active lives. And but we need to show that to kids because kids recognize themselves. They see themselves in these sets and they feel much more confident and supported. And so action is very important if you want to stand for big social issues. That would be kind of the way that we think about that. So, so that, that's one thing. And secondly, of course, when you tap into cultural trends, I think you need to be very choiceful about the kinds of collaborations that you create um, uh, and the way that you tap into, into the different, you know, in, into different cultural trends, because doing too much is also not great for brands. You have to be really choiceful and do things that will stand out, uh, make a statement, uh, get people to be excited, but it's better to do a few things that are really big um, rather than do a lot of things everywhere. And of course, it's it's one thing to do it within within a country or an area or a region, right? Like Black Lives Matter was based in the U.S. and and there's a set of cultural norms and assumptions that that, that you can key in on. But Lego is a global company. Coca Cola, when you work there, is of course a global company. And your background is even interesting because you're you're based in London in the U.K. You spend time in Denmark. You're originally from Saint Petersburg, Russia. As part of your sort of geographic regions across your career, it looks like you were, you you were in charge of Northwest Europe, but also you know we're state we're we're in charge of Japan at different points. How do you think of that overall? What crosses cultural divides? What translates? Do you geographically localize campaigns in ways? How do you make sure that it's accepted in the attended way when you're a global brand? I think there's something very powerful about having a strong global brand with strong global statements. So when we design global brand campaigns, we do make sure that they can transcend borders and be relevant everywhere. But then the power of of big brands and the power and the power of the opportunities that we have today as, as marketers um, is to be able to connect on a very personal level and to be relevant to our consumers around the world and to be able to take it down to the local culture and tap into the local culture and, and in, in a relevant way. So if I just take an example of China, we have you know all of our brand global campaigns resonate in China and they run in China very successfully. Uh, and we have a global portfolio that also performs extremely well there. But for China, we also design specific programs that tap into Chinese customs. Like, for example, you know, we have a theme called Monkey Kid that particularly taps into the history or very, uh, let's say, <laughs> very traditional uh, and very well-known um, journey of the Monkey King. We create great products for Chinese New Year to celebrate it and, of course, create campaigns to do that. And we would do that in, in different cultures to celebrate the cultures that, you know, that are there uh, to be relevant. So I think there are certain things that, can, that need to happen at a global le- uh, level, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be localized, doing locally relevant things as well. I think some things are very important to also you know, make a nod in a relevant way to the local culture and to be able to adapt to, to, to be relevant to consumers. 
What is an example of an insight about the consumer? Maybe it's localized, maybe it's more global that led directly to an immersive campaign. I'll, I'll give you one from, from our background. We're, we're, a, we're a, a global marketing agency. We do a lot of work for Budweiser. And so we had an insight that we did from market research that people drinking a Budweiser are more chatted up at bars. That it's that basically they're seen as more friendly than if they're drinking a Heineken or a competitor like that, that, that people are going to approach and talk to them. So we actually did a campaign around what your drink says about you. And then based on if you're in the bar, what are you communicating? What are people assuming about you? Because we want to bring out the message that, oh, people think you're more genuine and authentic and, and friendly, a good person to have a beer with if you're drinking a Budweiser rather than a competitor. That's one example. Is, is there an example of a consumer insight or a cultural insight that led itself to a campaign more directly that you wouldn't have done otherwise if you didn't have the insight? A good example that maybe is just very topical, but what we, we acted very fast during COVID, you know, because when we experienced now we in hindsight, we can understand what it was, but then imagine that we're in a, every, everybody's in a lockdown and what happens. And, and so we had a big insight about the fact that it was a time where families were, the, the positive thing was that the families were able to come together. And so we did a campaign very quickly. It was all social media campaign, but it was called Let's Build Together. And it was tapping into that insight that, you know, as a parent, it's very difficult to have. <laughs> when you, your children are educated at home, it's really tough and you want to get joyful moments to just kind of be able to create great moments for families to, especially at that time that it was very challenging and insecure for a lot of people. So we did Let's Build Together campaign that was not based on selling any product, but activating the bin of products that you already have and giving people ideas and creating movement around it. So that was one example of a campaign that was really built based on an insight and created a lot of followership, you know, and engagement because People started to share content of what they were doing. They were inspiring other people. But I really do believe that we brought joyful moments to many people who were under a lot of stress during that time. And then another campaign I will use is um, our work with adults. So we did a lot of work uh, to understand adults have always been part of the Lego portfolio. You know, there's some adults, we call them adult fans of Lego that have always been very engaged with us, but it was a very small proportion. And we kind of had a hunch that there's a lot more adults that would love to build with the Lego bricks. And that could be a really positive way to engage adults. And as well as then, you know, adults are massive influences for kids, of course, also engage kids. And we did a lot of research to understand, you know, what adults were into. And it was very clear that many, many adults, I would say majority, always want to find moments of meditation moments of kind of internal, you know, or moments for themselves where they can do something that can also make them feel really good, bring in moments of self-esteem and self-reflection. Based on that, we, you know, investigated what are the different passions that they would want to engage in and build a portfolio of products that really taps into different passions that adults have. But the campaign that we created around it is called the Joyful Focus Campaign. And it was all about these short moments of joyful focus to just Take time out and just build the set that you really always wanted to build. And that was really successful because I think it tapped into a zeitgeist of, you know, the world today that is so fast, so unpredictable that we all need more and more to take a little bit of time for ourselves to kind of, you know, to create those moments of, of setting ourselves and, um, and focusing on something that will take our mind away from all the things that are happening around us. So that was very 
the topical very successful and very good at engaging more and more adults in our portfolio. The interesting thing about Julia's background is the link between product innovation and innovative marketing, two roles that aren't usually combined. But are they really that different? Great product innovation starts with consumer insights. Innovative marketing starts with consumer insights too. Great product innovation addresses the core needs and underlying motivation of our audience. Great marketing certainly does that too. So where does product innovation stop and innovative marketing begin? If, if Coke was the brand uh, academy, then Revlon was about innovation and product innovation because product innovation doesn't just happen that like you bring people together. It's a process that needs, you know, it has got stage gates. If you want to have innovation, you know, it takes time and you need to really plan a pipeline of innovation. So part of it is really just understanding how the innovation process works. And secondly, um, to be able to also understand how to create innovation with more long-term on a more longer term horizon that will have potentially, you know, more challenging functionalities or more challenging aspects of the product that you need to take more time to create. So that's one big part of innovation. And then another big part of innovation is around this ability to kind of iterate and continuously raise the bar in terms of how you're going to create the right products for your consumer to really evoke desire. Because, you know, cosmetics are a bit, a lot of people ask me, Lego and Revlon cosmetics and toys are so, super different. They're not that different. Um, I think one big similarity is the fact that both businesses are very reliant on novelties. And the reason that is the case is because they don't serve needs, they serve desires. You know, you can never, if you ask a woman, does she have enough pair of shoes or does she have enough lipsticks? Or, you know, it's no one's ever going to say, yes, I've got, you know, you always want to look for something new because that's what gives us a sense of self-esteem, puts a smile on our face. That novelty factor, that novelty factor, you know, doesn't happen by accident. You need to create that desire. And it's the same with toys. You know, kids have a lot of toys, but every year they want something new. And just because they bought last year doesn't mean they'll buy again this year. So the bar is high. And so understanding how the product innovation process works, make sure, making sure that you have the right conversations at every stage gate so you can create based on real insights that you have um, a good funnel that you can go through that, that can then turn into a pipeline that, that, you, that you can uh, refine toward the finish line. Um, these, are the kind, you know, these are the kinds of um, things that I've learned when I did uh, my job at Revlon. Do you recommend for a CMO that doesn't really have that purview of product or product innovation? They're not normally. Do you recommend that that CMO tries to educate himself or herself or sort of be available part of that, be a resource or try to try to bring that knowledge in, even if it's in an informal way into their sort of purview or scope? Absolutely. I think it's really important. And as I said, I think product and marketing, separating them creates a very linear and very um uh, outdated approach in my view. I think that this co-creation is super important. So I would definitely encourage um, you know marketers to be engaged in a product development process to understand what's being developed and how and and also to understand the limitations as well as the um, opportunities that the product development process of a particular company has. I see a lot of benefit in it. And as I said, in my organization, there's definitely alignment, transparency, and teamwork uh, connected to developing products, which I think results 
in a significantly better experiences for our consumers and also more effective. I mean, you've talked a lot about not just marketing for sort of functional benefits, but marketing for desires and having a more way to kind of inspire those desires. How important is doing that at a moment of time? What I mean by that is I, I see Lego on World Play Day. That's a moment. That's a moment where we come together and there's kind of a focus on it. How important is it to focus in time for this relevant moment where you can get your message across? Or, and how do you think about time as a dimension in all of this? I think time has two aspects to it. I think one, there is a moment in time where people are really engaged. So if they're really engaged in, for example, you know, International Women's Day, more people are attuned to the to the aspect of women, girls, International Girls Day is very similar. That's a very good way, good time to engage people in the conversation around the gender play gap that exists between girls and boys because they don't have the same opportunities that boys do and actually serve up opportunities to engage more parents in getting more play opportunities for their girls. That's a moment in time. However, there's also moments across time that happen in a micro level. And I think as a big brand, you need to be able to also be relevant in a moment. So when things happen, we need to be able to respond, especially when you have a massive level of engagement with your consumers. We have a very high level of engagement in our own channels, in our earned channels. Our Lego YouTube is the biggest branded channel, as an example. So you can't just be pushing your messages out. You have to be able to respond to what is trending, to respond to how consumers, what is interesting and important for your consumers, and ultimately to respond to what they're in you know, the moment they're in. And that's why we did the Let's Build Together campaign during COVID because we could see what was trending. No, so I would say be very selective about the big moments to make sure that you can be really relevant and action something in those moments, but then also ensure that you can relate to the small moments that happen every day. As a final question, what is your superpower? With all of this, you, you wear many hats, you've worked at different brands, you've managed large organizations. What is your superpower and, and where do you see your career headed after this? What would you still like to do and accomplish? I think we still have such an amazing opportunity to touch more and more children and adults in a very relevant and engaging way. And I think <laughs> I have so much passion when I see the sparkle in people's eyes and when they tell me how much enjoyment they got out of the last Lego set that they built, that I really want to continue, you know, because I can see an opportunity to do more and we still have a big, big role to play in helping so many children around the world. So, so that's how I see the future. And in terms of my superpower, you know, it's very difficult to, um, to nail one particular point, but maybe I would say versatility has been very important because in two levels, one is I am very balanced right to left brain and I can move between the art and science. And I think that has always really helped me uh, in kind of the more sort of like how to develop the portfolio, how to think strategically and commercially, but at the same time, leave room for a lot of creativity. But I think the second thing uh, in terms of versatility is um, appreciation of diversity, being able to work in different cultures, appreciate different cultures and what different people can bring and the power of a team that is diverse and ability to, um, to deal with difficult situations and take, take risks. I've done it all my life. For Julia Golden, marketing isn't the cousin of sales, it's the sister of innovative products. So don't just sit on the sidelines with the product team. If you want to be a great marketer, you'll need to tap into consumer insights to truly understand the experience you deliver and market to your audience's underlying motivation. Evoke desire. 
the desire to explore, the desire to create, the desire to experience, and yes, the desire to purchase. Julia says tap into dreams, create trends, responds to other people's trends, and bring creativity to life. If you build your next marketing campaign brick by brick, or Lego by Lego, you might just bring a little extra joy to your industry and indeed to the world. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan.